0: Welcome to the Family Matters Podcast, where we answer the tough questions about divorce and separation, empowering you to make better decisions for yourself and your family. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 21 of the Family Matters Show Podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Bryant from Bryant McKinnon Lawyers, and I'm here with my business partner and family law specialist, Heather McKinnon.
1: It's just the two of us today. Heather, are you raring to go? I've been to gym, and I'm really excited about uh, just the two of us talking about what we do every day. I know, right? Back to basics.
0: Before we start on today's show, I just want to make a special shout out to retired Federal Circuit Court Judge Judy Small, who graced us with her presence on last month's show. Judy was born and bred right here in Coffs Harbour, went on to have an international singing career and then became a family lawyer and ultimately a judge. If you haven't listened to the podcast, I really commend it to you. She has had such an interesting life, and of course, it's invaluable to get a judge's perspective on the whole divorce and separation process. Now, as I mentioned earlier, today it's just back to me and Heather, and we are going to go back to the very beginning of the whole separation process and answer this question What do I do now that I've decided to separate? It's a really scary and overwhelming time in anyone's life, so I'm really pleased that we're taking the time to look carefully at the beginning of the process. So much depends on how you handle yourself in the early stages. Isn't that right, Heather?
1: Absolutely, Ben. It's really easy to make a wrong move at the beginning and set up a spiral into really bad chaos. So the more prep you do at the beginning, the smoother the process will be for everyone in the family.
0: So true. And just before we get started, I want to encourage everyone to share this podcast with any friends or family who might be on the brink of separation. The earlier we can provide some of the answers, the better the likely outcomes. Also, if you or someone you love has questions about separation or divorce, we are always happy to try and provide answers on this show. Just send your questions in confidence to familymatters at or message us on Facebook. Now, on with the show. Are you ready, Heather?
1: Absolutely.
0: Far away, Ben. If we go right back to the very beginning of any separation, it is very often one person who initially comes to the conclusion that the relationship is over the other person in the relationship may be blissfully unaware that their world is about to fall apart. Heather, do you have any thoughts on when and how to break the news and how to manage things once you've had that first conversation?
1: It's the hardest in most people's lives, Ben. So what I tend to say to people who come to see me before they separate is that by and large, the best way to approach it is to try and engage your partner in some relationship counselling. So rather than drop the bombshell, I'm out of here, you say to your partner, I'm feeling really unhappy and I think we could benefit from talking to somebody who might be able to help us. The reason that that works well in my experience is during the process of uh, relationship counselling, Both people often reach the mutual conclusion that the relationship is over so that one person doesn't have to bear the total responsibility for ending it and the psychologist or social worker or counsellor that does the couple's counselling can often help people to get to a much more resolved way of moving forward and accepting that the relationship's terminal in a couple of cases it actually saves the relationship which is a byproduct because the issues that have led to the crisis are more properly analyzed with the help of an expert so it could be undiagnosed mental health issue a substance abuse problem something that's happening that people are not prepared to face head on So for me, over decades of seeing people, that would be my wish, that if the relationship gets into that terminal territory, rather than slang it out over the kitchen table, you go to someone who can help you both in a civilised manner, work out what you're going to do going forward. And Heather,
0: I find that almost on a daily basis, we speak to clients and people that come and see us perhaps for the first time, perhaps they're not separated yet. And we talk about the cycle of because normally when you have one party uh, that has been thinking about separation for some time, they're like, oh, not another Christmas or, you know, not not the mother-in-law again or something like that. And they've started grieving the loss of their relationship already and they've started to look towards the future and start to get things in place. But the other party sometimes is, as I said before, blissfully unaware. They knew things aren't that great, but they didn't think they were that bad either. And so when the parties have this conversation for the first time, there's almost like this big catch-up, do you know what I mean? Because one party's already grieved, they've already gone through all the stages, and the other party's just starting their process. So both parties really need to be cognizant of that.
1: And certainly our work is in that space, as you describe the catch-up phase, where people will use maladaptive Mm behaviours to try and hold on to the relationship so they cause conflict because it's their way of trying to get things to stay as they are.
0: And Heather, if you're in a difficult or a possibly violent relationship, what things should you have set up before that initial conversation?
1: So certainly this is the biggest area of concern in our culture at the moment. So we know that separation is the most dangerous time for anybody who's leaving a violent or controlling relationship. So it's about education, making sure that you understand how the police are involved in apprehended violence orders if you need one The team at the police stations that are trained in this field are very often prepared to talk to you before you separate so that they have an understanding that you may be in a situation where you need their help. Uh, The police have fantastic kits available on things to do, so how to ensure your safety make sure that you have an escape plan so that you know where you're going to go if you do have to leave the house, alert close family and friends who will be there to support you and then it comes down to things like immediate financial needs so you may need to attend the bank to transfer joint money under your control so that you've got something to tide you over in that initial period of shock For many people, they will need the help of Centrelink at the time of separation. We know that most people with young children will need help for up to a year from Centrelink. Despite what you hear in the media, people are usually on that parenting support payment for a very short period of time but if you are in that category where you might need that help it's really important to make sure that you understand how that system works and to register and start talking to the social workers at Centrelink if you need to about what support you can get if things get really nasty. So it's getting, yeah, getting all that advice so you understand what's available for you.
0: And Heather, I think it's really important for everyone to remember, and this is what we're focusing on now, is that violence does not end at separation. Violence continues after separation and might just take on a different form. Sometimes it takes on the same form. It could be physical violence, and that's, of course, you mentioned the police and victim services and things, but also the, the more nuanced um, violence, the, the controlling, the coercion, the, the financial control, things like that. Um, we need to be really aware of those things. And as you mentioned before, with parties touching base, perhaps with the police, and they can give them their phone to see if you know, there's any tracking device. Sometimes it can be some nasty tracking devices. Sometimes it's just a thing like turning off family sharing on an apple device or something like that. So it's really getting the knowledge and like you said, the support.
1: Yep, absolutely. And I think realising that These cases that spiral out of control are not categorised by particular socioeconomic backgrounds or any particular idiosyncrasies. We can't tell which ones are going to go off. And that's the big problem. Even though we have some forensic methods of looking at whether someone's likely to adjust well, an adjustment disorder to a breakdown of marriage or relationship can't be predicted. It can come out of left field. Mm.
0: And unfortunately, Heather, there's no prescribed or pro forma checklist for separation. So what are some of the big ticket things that you need to think about in the really early stages to ensure that there's as little disruption to you and your family as possible?
1: So obviously the first one is if there's children involved, how are their needs going to be met? So again, counselling, big, big, big ticket item, get that started so that you can get mum and dad on the same page as to how you can calmly help the kids adjust. Housing is obviously critical. At the moment, right up the eastern seaboard, there's a huge rental crisis as the pandemic has shifted people out of the cities into the region. So it's a real problem in couples that are separating because there's nowhere to go unless you've got family or friends that are prepared to put you up. So a lot of work has to be thought through in relation to that. Once you've got your immediate financial needs met through... and Centrelink, you've got the kids arranged into housing, then it's really a rest and recuperation period Once we see people, as you know, Ben, we usually suggest that they then just adjust to the separation for the next couple of months. So you don't leave your 25-year marriage and then get a letter from the lawyer the next day saying, I want to sell you up. It's just not appropriate. You need to allow that grief process to happen, allow people to heal the wounds before you start looking at the longer-term decision-making.
0: And I think I'll just say to the listeners, there's always a degree of the precipice. You will always have to take a leap of faith at some stage. I know that we have some clients come in and they say they want to try and get all their ducks in a row to be as least disruptive as possible. But we're not all Gwyneth Paltrow. We can't all pull off the conscious uncoupling. Um, And that's why the support is so necessary because at some stage there will be a, a precipice that we need to walk off.
1: And what I would say is, as you mentioned, we've got on previous podcasts interviews with some of our best judges psychiatrists social workers our whole system in australia is one that allows families to move through the process with incredible support And you don't have to be fearful that you need to get that immediate financial support from your ex-partner. Centrelink is there for a reason. Child support's there for a reason. And so that fear that you have is something that you can't really make go away, Mm -hmm. but you can be reassured that we have excellent systems in Australia to support families going through the separation process.
0: And as one walks off the precipice, Heather, what things or what steps can they take to ensure they protect themselves financially?
1: One of the first things I suggest to people is that they have a look at what their cash reserves are. So most people live paycheck to paycheck, but often there'll be, say, $10,000 under joint control. I suggest that if it is one of these cases that might go off, that they go and put 5000 of that in their own account don't take more than half, but get your own money under your control. Immediately notify your employer that your pay is to go from the joint account into an account that you control. Notify Centrelink immediately so that that process can start, so there can be an assessment early on as to what parenting payment and child support entitlements are there for you. And... I think the biggest one is making that decision about whether you stay in the home or whether you go and rent. People still have this huge misapprehension that if you leave the home, you're somehow doing your property settlement entitlements. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the biggest things that I listen to when a person first comes to me. My family and friends have said, don't leave the house, don't leave the house. (laughs) And you have to say, well, on any given day around Australia... Thousands of people are separating and, of course, one usually moves out. It has nothing to do with the overall property settlement. So they're the sort of immediate thing. Yeah. And, Heather, we have the
0: separation, we have the grieving process. And to the lawyers, is there a general rule of thumb on when a lawyer should get involved?
1: We would say that it is important in that information gathering phase that you have an initial consultation with a lawyer. An hour with a competent lawyer will give you a roadmap moving forward. So in a given year, we see in this practice six or 700 separating people, but we only do have to do work on about half of those files. Once people have got a roadmap, they're normally able to work out a sensible arrangement going forward, and their only contact will be if they want to do a property settlement and they've got to file consent documents to get stamped exemption, something like that. Bulk of people. Uh, do deals without us being involved. So the 50% that we're left negotiating are ones where there are property settlements where there are unusual factors. There might have been inheritances or one party came in with a lot of capital. But that initial assessment is usually pretty accurate. And I know you and I play a game where we look at a case that might go for three years in court and we go back to our initial notes and we always see how close we were to calling it and it's almost always about what happened. So we can tell what's going to happen but what we can't control is the adjustment of the other party to the breakdown of the relationship. So the cases that go off are the ones where there's an adjustment disorder and people aren't commercial and they're not realistic and they're the ones that need our help in a lot more intense way.
0: And Heather, a question that we get all the time, when things are amicable, Mm -hmm. is it possible to use the same lawyer?
1: Happens a couple of times a week. Certainly, one of the main parts of our work is documenting agreed arrangements. So with a property settlement, the process we recommend to formalise it is through a thing called an application for consent orders. But if a court is going to approve those orders, it does require both people to have independent certificates signed to say that they understand what the deal is. So many couples come to us to help them negotiate the settlement, but it's on the basis that when the documents are done... One of them goes to another lawyer to have that double check that everything's above board, that people know what they've agreed to, and that there is someone independent from the lawyer who drafted the documents to certify that the deal's within the range that the judge is going to approve. So it's quite common for people to come to us to get initial advice and to. See whether we can help them reach a deal, but we will always nominate one person as the client so that if the negotiations break down, the other person has to get their own legal advice, or if they are able to document the agreement, one of them will have to agree to go somewhere else to get that independent certificate.
0: And the thing is, it's not necessary at all to get lawyers to do your application for consent orders, you know, access to justice, you don't need to pay lawyers to do that. The parties can do that with the court themselves. And the court's very useful in giving a prescribed form, the application for consent orders, but it kind of forgets to put the other form on there, which is the minute of consent order, which is actually what is agreed. And that normally requires a lawyer to draft that. That is, who's retaining the house, who's discharging the mortgage, who's refinancing the mortgage, who's getting the partnership and the trust and the superannuation payment, splitting orders and those things. So that's normally where people need to see lawyers. So it's great if you don't need a lawyer to get to the agreement stage, but once you're at the agreement stage, you probably need a lawyer to draft that
1: up for you. The technical aspects of things like superannuation splitting require pretty lengthy knowledge and learning to understand how it works, but people can have their own um, attempt at it. And I would say to people, if you've just got a house and you're buying the other one out, If you've got a sensible level of education and you're good at administrative forms, have a go. If it doesn't work, you can come back to lawyers. But it's a fairly modest price to pay lawyers to do consent orders
0: how they're just returning to children at the moment, is it better to let them know what's happening early or should you wait until things get a bit more settled?
1: Certainly my understanding from the child experts is that kids are aware of problems within their parents' relationships way before parents think that they've understood what's going Mm -hmm. on. Kids use emotional intelligence to feel the climate, so... They know when parents are anxious, they will smell it on them. And so the prevailing view is that you should be very honest with kids in an age-related way and tell them if you're struggling. They need to be reassured. So mum and dad need constantly to give that reassurance. Mum and dad are still here. We're not going anywhere. We're always going to be here for you. It's not your fault. Not your fault. Absolutely tell them that you're not going to expose them to any sort of fighting. And I think kids get a lot of reassurance if parents are able to say, mum and dad are getting some counselling to help with the way that we're doing this. And just to reassure kids that mum and dad are still in control because little ones just need certainty and they need to know that in that whole process, they're not going to be abandoned by either parent.
0: Heather, hearing you speak about Honest in an Age-Appropriate Way took me back to the podcast we did with Miranda Montrone. And that was, a course, on surrogacy and adopted parents. But we asked her the question, would it be appropriate for parents of adopted or surrogate children to tell them about how they were conceived and born? And she said the same thing, normalising it as early as she can, just in an age-appropriate way, because children they do pick up on all the emotional stuff.
1: I mean, I can't believe the number of people I see that say, We've been in separate bedrooms for three years, but the kids don't think anything's going on. (laughs) You know, they've gone from jumping on bed with mum and dad cuddling every weekday to having two rooms and they think the kids think it's normal. Like, it is really important that parents get their heads out of their ass and understand (laughs) that kids are real barometers of what's happening in any household. Heather, if you
0: have a long-term friend that just left a long relationship, what's the one piece of advice that you'd give them?
1: Take responsibility for your part in the failure of the relationship. The only way that you'll move on in a healthy way is to accept that you had a part to play In it, I think if you go into the corners where it's always the other person's fault, you will be led down a destructive path. So get to someone who can help you talk through what decisions you made in your adult life and why you need to make different decisions. It's the hardest thing to take responsibility for your part, but it is the thing that will see you go forward in the strongest way. That
0: was great, Heather. And I think we've managed to provide some valuable guidance for people coming face-to-face with that horrifying decision that it's time to separate and turn our lives upside down.
1: I agree, Ben. I hope that what we've done this morning really helps people in the community who are on the precipice.
0: And I'm pretty sure we will be recommending this episode to lots of our clients, and I hope that plenty of people who are not clients but need advice early will find this show. So just another reminder... If you are listening to this and you have friends or family who might be headed towards separation, please share this episode with them. You'll be doing them a huge favour. Next month, we're going to be taking a very interesting turn in our conversation and we'll be chatting with a private investigator. You may ask what a private investigator has to do with family law. First of all, sometimes people actually have to find their ex before they can finalise their divorce. And then there's the whole issue of serving documents if things end up at court. So surprise, surprise, PIs are quite often involved in family law matters. We are very excited to have Steve Wallace, the Managing Director of SWA Recovery and Investigation, join us on next month's podcast. Not only will he have some great advice, we might also be able to persuade him to share some of his best private investigator stories. If you have any questions you would like us to put to Steve, please either message us on Facebook or email familymatters at As always, a final reminder that we have a full transcript of today's show, plus link to any resources mentioned available the show notes on our website. Goodbye for now. Stay safe and we hope to have your ears again next month. The information provided on this podcast is general in nature and not a substitute for personal legal advice. We recommend you consult an accredited family law specialist.